Welcome to Awakening Motherhood. I am your host, Georgie Doherty. This is a podcast where we question everything we thought we knew about motherhood and creating and growing a business. It's time we stepped out of society's box and start creating a life we desire. Through pleasure, passion, creativity, communication, and our emotions. Each month, I get to chat to incredible women from all over the world who are paving the way for evolution and transformation. These amazing women will teach you the power of your voice, intuition, deep desires, emotions, and so, so much more. So let's dive in. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Awakening Motherhood. Today we have an amazing guest, Amanda Kate, and we get to chat all about that balancing work and family home life. She helps us learn how to tap into our own intuition to create that balance. So when you're ready, let's begin. Hello, and let's welcome our next amazing guest. Uh, we've got Amanda Kate, who is a highly trained kinesiologist and coach based here in Melbourne, Australia. Oh, and I love her life's work. She, she helps, she transforms people's lives from stuck, dull, and uninspired, and turning them into higher frequencies of love, acceptance, and abundance. She also works with business owners to marry their feminine flow to the masculine structure and anchor in higher levels of achievement without burnout. Within all her work, her central values of authenticity, courage, and freedom are foremost, and she lives them daily in creating a magical life for herself. Oh my goodness, if you're listening for the first time and all of that just sounds so new to you, Welcome, your life is about to change. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lily. It's great to be here. Uh, oh, I'm mm, we just I just love your work um, and what you're about and and just reading that the feminine flow to the masculine structure. And why I've brought on Amanda Kate today is because we've just come um, from the Capricorn full moon and we're moving into the cancer new moon so which is all really about the energy there is um the finding the balance between work and family life this tug and war let's be honest we're all there it's you know we're all trying to find that balance like what that looks like and we all um what we know what we see happening is we end up with frustration overwhelm anger and just a lot of confusion and like not there's not much clarity in which way we're supposed to go so we feel guilty um when we when we take a priority there and then we're then we're supposed to find self-care for ourselves and and being in a loving relationship and that and so on and so on and it's just like <laughs> where do we even start so i feel like we're gonna talk a lot about tapping into our intuition and talking about that feminine and masculine and how to create that balance so please share with us um, a little bit more about you and how we can really tap into that intuition and create that balance that is unique for each individual and family life. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, um, you know, I, I grew up in a, you know, white middle class um, Church of England family. Everything was pretty much straight down the line. And, you know, I got good grades at school and I ticked all of the boxes and, you know, I married a successful man and emigrated. I was I lived in the UK for um, I think it was uh, ten or eleven years, eleven years, from twenty two to thirty three. So a lot of my formative stuff from early adulthood through to you know becoming a mother um, to two children all, all happened over there. Um, and then we moved back here, and and things were. Things already in the UK didn't feel quite right. And we moved back here in 2011. So, gosh, it'll be 10 years soon. And these little questions had just started 
raising their head. And they'd done it a few different times in my life. So around the time I was in my teens, that kind of 16 to 19, I was getting curious about the tarot and about astrology and the stars and the moons and lots of different things. And with the religious background, I was basically told it was the occult and it was evil and it was dark and it was, you know, something that we didn't do. And so I squashed it down. And then it came up again, I guess, in my mid-20s roughly. And once again, it was this isn't what we do. This isn't the type of people we are. This is evil. This is dark magic all of that kind of stuff and again my intuition was going no but you know I listened to everybody except for myself for so long and then it got to the point of around the age of 30 I'd, I'd had both my children so I had both my children quite young I was 27 and 29 when I had them and around my 30th birthday I started going well is this all life is this doesn't <laughs> feel great even though on paper it ticked every box I was living in a big detached house in the UK my ex-husband well my husband at the time was you know earning great money I was a full-time stay-at-home mom I had a fabulous life with the children when when he was out at work I'd take them out and about and read them stories and do activities and I was really involved and I loved that time and then he was uh, made, or his role was made redundant, and we decided to emigrate to Australia. And this was my return home, but instead of returning home, home to Adelaide, we came to Melbourne. Um, my ex-husband didn't want to be too close to my family if he was moving away from his because he thought it was unfair. And there was a lot of other stuff going on, which is fair enough and at the time. Made sense, I guess. Um, and I was still living everybody else's life. I was doing what I should have been doing. I, you know, as the kids started getting, you know, into school and I started looking at what I could do that, you know, was either part-time or wouldn't interfere in the family life or wouldn't take me away from them too much. I was still looking at everything from everybody else's perspective except for mine. And it was feeling wrong and I was getting sick. By my early 30s, I think it was about two years after we moved here, I started getting really sick. I needed three plus hours naps in the afternoon. I'd usually been super motivated, a go-getter. And I just kept coming up against roadblocks. And I was the sickest person I knew. And yet, as, as the doctor would say when he'd take my blood, he'd go, you are the healthiest sick person I've ever known. Now, the interesting thing was in that whole journey, not one person asked me about my relationships or my support structures or whether I was living to my life or to somebody else's. There were no questions about the environment in which I was living. And I don't know, I, it never really made sense at the time why that felt off. But now that I know everything that I know, I'm like, oh, my God, that is like the linchpin parts of the puzzle. And I found myself on this journey of relearning or actually, no, not even relearning, of learning who I am. I'd love to say relearning, but I don't think I ever knew who I was because I always lived to other people's desires and wants and expectations. And that wasn't their fault by any means. That was the way I perceived life. I honestly felt that to be loved, I needed to make everybody else happy. And when I failed to make other people happy, I made up in my head that I was unlovable. And I lived to that. I, I lived as though it was true. But I kept getting these little nudges and these little signs from the universe and these little pushes. And eventually it got to the point where I'd ignored the universe so long I swear it just came and slapped me down and went, you're going to bloody well listen now. <laughs> and I, I hear you. Yeah, it was, I was living with chronic fatigue and I had been, I believe, for quite a while by the time it got, I guess, more formally diagnosed. It took five professionals telling me it was a naturopath, a Chinese doctor, 
my chiropractor, my kinesiologist and my psychologist. It took all five of them to say I had chronic fatigue before my ex-husband would believe that that was the case. He always just said, what's wrong with you? You're always exhausted. Everybody else is just tired, but you're exhausted. Like you've always got to be the drama queen and all of this kind of stuff because he didn't like the fact that I wasn't as capable as I had previously been. And again, that's absolutely fine. He was used to me being capable. And so when I wasn't, I understand why that shook those foundations. There's certainly no judgment there. And and I just started going, okay, I think the full turning point for me became when I was struggling with my menstrual cycle 13 to 15 days of the month. And I was on about a 29-day cycle. So we're talking over half of my month was spent with premenstrual symptoms, with sore boobs and tiredness and cramps and mood swings and discomfort and all sorts of I remember tracking it for ages and just being shocked at how many days it was affecting me and I went to a gynecologist and he said well we'll put you on antidepressants then and I'm like you're doing what like it's not that I mind you I probably was depressed when I look back at it I certainly had enough going on that would have would have pushed me down there but I was in denial about that at the time and I just started to think this is crazy so I started seeing a naturopath I started seeing a Chinese doctor who was recommended to me and I just started exploring all these natural alternatives and in the beginning of 2015 I had a I actually went and got a mental health care plan because I truly believed that I was broken and that I needed to fix myself to save my marriage. Um, now with all the work I've done, I kind of understand that that's a little bit of a screwy idea, but that was where I was at and that's what I believed at the time. And I went and got this mental health care plan because I was wanting to go and see this psychologist whom I knew did mindfulness courses and worked in a more holistic way. And... I rang up to book some individual sessions with her as well as book into the next mindfulness class. And her receptionist said, you know what? There's going to be at least a month's wait before you can see her. Have you thought about Reiki or kinesiology? And I'd tried Reiki before and didn't quite resonate with it. I do now, by the way, I absolutely love it. But at the time, it just didn't feel right. So I went, you know what? I'm willing to try anything. Book me in for a kinesiology session and that session just changed my life, completely and utterly changed my life. I started to open my eyes. I started to take my blinkers off. I started to remove some of the labels that I had put on myself, the unlovable, the unworthy, the, the need to people please other people to make myself lovable, the fact that I thought I was fat and ugly and stupid and you know, too opinionated or not opinionated enough and too one thing and not another. And I, I started to take some of these labels off that I'd been living with and that I'd been owning as mine. And then I had to employ this curiosity through the work I was doing to go, okay, so if I'm not that, then what could I be? Or who could I be? Or who am I? Underneath all of that conditioning and story and labelling stuff, I just started to get curious and I worked with uh, one main kinesiologist um, and then within six months I was actually studying kinesiology because it just blew my mind and I went, I have to help people the way I've been helped with this. And then over the course of the next four years, I think I probably saw maybe up to a dozen different kinesiologists. I still had my main one that was keeping me through it, but I found other people for different things to help me through, bits and pieces I was going through. I studied six years worth of study in four years. I did my um, kinesiology diploma, my advanced diploma, my international um, graduate diploma of kinesiopractic. I studied um, total body modification. I did advanced quantum neurology, which is 
anxiety and depression protocols and, and looking at the neurology of the brain. I did advanced hormone and gland protocols. I did advanced immunity work. I just literally threw myself in because I started to realize that the more I knew, the less I knew and the more there was to learn. <laughs> and it just fascinated me because at every turn I was gr gaining greater awareness of who I was. And even though I've still got some of those stories and I still, you know, struggle with worthiness because I'm human and I still struggle with judging myself because I'm human, I become aware of those patterns much sooner and therefore I find that I'm going into corrective behaviours much faster than I would have previously. So it's almost like I'm on my own self-correcting course a little bit now. I, I recognise when I'm falling into those old traps of keeping everybody else happy and putting everyone else before me and, and all of those things that we fall into as mothers, as humans, as women. And I know that there are a number of professionals that I can call or I can make appointments with or I can speak to or I know which modality I need. So, for example, I, I have my own kinesiologists and I say plural because there's never just one. Um, I've got a naturopath who is absolutely amazing. I've got, I used to have a chiro, although I do need a new one because I've just changed areas. Um, I've got a reflexologist. I've got a number of other people, psychics and mediums and healers and Reiki practitioners and all of these different people that I can call on when I need their services. And that's where I use my intuition. So I think this is the, the thread that has tied it all together. And let me discover this wild roaming, sometimes very, very random and mysterious path. It's been this little inkling of intuition. And when I first started tapping into it, it was so quiet. I think it was scared to speak up because I'd shouted over it for so long. I'd let everybody else shout over it for so long. I'd, I'd hidden it. I was almost ashamed of, of this inner voice that I had that was telling me to stand up for myself and start to discover what I wanted rather than what everybody else wanted for me. And it was, there was that little bit of shame attached to it of, am I really allowed to want this? Am I really allowed to think this or feel this? Am I wrong for tapping into this aspect of myself that for some people seems so alien? So many people said I was making massive mistakes with my life. I lost a lot of friends on the journey, which, you know, obviously means they weren't true friends because true friends, mm -hmm. you know, tend to stick, stick around for the course. But they were the perfect people for me at that time to teach me those lessons. And people just didn't understand the path I was starting to walk. And the further I walked on it and the more I trusted that intuition, it was like that positive reinforcing cycle of, okay, yes, I've lost these people and, yes, I've grieved that loss of friendship and also look at everything that's opening up for me. Look at how things are starting to expand and evolve and grow and look at this abundance that's coming into my life and these new friends that have found their way to me and that's where, as I used that intuitive muscle, it got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And now it's that true guiding force and I'll listen to that over anything else. And that's been that practice and that work for me. So, yeah, <laughs> it's been a Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean... For me, just listening, I resonate with all of that. <laughs> and I can, it, people that get to, to listen to this, they're going to resonate with bits and pieces um, of their lives. And what, and I am the one, so many things that you said, but this intuition that's beneath all of that, as you said, mm. is quiet to start with. Um, because it's covered by the, the belief that, 
well, for a lot, we have to, that people pleasing, everyone yeah. else's desires, needs and wants are more important than mine. Therefore yeah. I have to put that first. So we, and then what ended up happening to you and also to me and probably a lot of people is we end up getting sick, like physically sick um, in different ways. And so we go and look for that um, solution um, you know, we go to the doctor, we, we get prescribed, prescribed this and that, I'm told to do this. And what's something that you said was, but no one asked me about my support structure, my relationships and the environment, which I was living. Yeah. No one asked me that. No. Yeah. It's just, it's mind blowing when we step back and open our eyes to what is possible of change and it is, it's just stepping into what you desire, what you want versus what everyone else's wants. Because when yeah. you can meet your needs, then everyone else's needs are met. It's, it's so fascinating how that actually happens. And as you said, as you, as you kept going in this direction, your intuition got stronger. So you, it's that, and you called it a muscle. Yeah. And I love that because when we think about, you know, our muscles, if we want to gain definition or make them stronger, we have to work at it. Yes, definitely. And I think yeah. that's part of what we forget is that it is one of those things that, you know, like anything, the more we use it, the, the stronger it becomes and the more accurate we are with it and the more we can rely on it. And that doesn't stop that strengthening and fine-tuning even you know I guess it's a little bit like when you go to the gym and you know I remember you know say you get an injury and you've got to do some workarounds or you might not be getting strong enough so then you've got to work some of the opposing muscles or some of the littler muscles to be able to get to that next thing of strength it's a little bit the same with your intuition you've got to keep working on it and working on it in different ways. It's not just that there's one way to work on it and there's a right and a wrong. It's a, there's a lot of different ways to work and, and we need to find the ways that, that really work and resonate with us. And sometimes it can be through physical feelings in the body. So, you know, if I get tired or, or whatever, if I stop, okay, why am I getting tired? I find questions are my best friend It's and curiosity. Well, why am I getting tired? What's changed since I've been sleeping, you know, more poorly or not being as rested when I wake up? Or, and I'll get little answers that drop into my head. One of the things I say to my clients when they come into clinic is the hardest lesson I had in kinesiology was that I needed to speak before I think. And in my clinic room, that's what I expect of my clients or, or I encourage in my clients. I don't expect it because that's a little bit hard. Um, but I, I encourage it because what happens when we are speaking our truth rather than thinking our truth is we are coming from that first intuitive instinct, the bit of the subconscious that knows the answers to the questions that we don't think we know the number of times I've, I've gone back to, you know, an earlier age for a client or whatever, and they know exactly what's going on at that time, even though they have no conscious memory of it. It is that way that we can tap into our subconscious intelligence and our innate intelligence. And if we leave it too long, we think over the top of it. So we go, no, that can't be right. It has to be this, this and this. And we bring in that logic and we bring in that reasoning and we bring in basically all of the paradigms to which we've lived our life previously and we replace whatever it is that we're asking about or wanting to feel into, into these predefined boxes that we use in the logical brain rather than going to that subconscious intuitive intelligence that we all are gifted with um, and that's that part okay am I thinking this answer am I knowing this answer or am I feeling this answer 
And there's so many different ways that we will get our own messages. So in psychic and mediumship um, work, they, they call them the five clairs. So there's claircognizance, which is clear knowing. That's when you just know stuff and you don't know how you know it, but you know it and you know it's true and you know it at that bone deep, cell deep level when you've obviously practiced it because <laughs> all of them take practice. There's clairvoyance, which is the, the most commonly known one that is clear seeing. Now, it doesn't mean that we see dead people. It can do. It can mean that we see the spirit world. But it can also mean that we see number repetitions. We see white feathers or mm. we see ladybirds or we see a bee and go, oh, gee, I haven't seen a bee in a while. I wonder what bee medicine is or, or what bees mean metaphysically beyond the physical so we can ask our questions because we're seeing different messages in different forms. Um, I know dragonflies are a big one or certain types of flowers or, you know, owls or whatever it can be. So that's clairvoyance, clear seeing. You also then have clear audience, which is clear hearing. So that may, might be when you pick up on snippets of songs and you're like, whoa, that lyric really speaks to me right now. Or you might walk past people on the street and hear something that they're saying, or you might hear that inner voice speaking to you. So that's the clear hearing aspect. We then have um, clairsentience, which is clear feeling. So that's where we feel it in our body. We get a visceral response to whatever it is that we're, we're thinking um, or asking questions on. And then the fifth Claire is, is split in two. There is Claire Gustance and Claire Salience, which is Claire, clear taste and clear smell. And I actually know a lot of people who have the smell thing. For example, um, I have a number of people who smell tobacco smoke regularly, even though they're not smokers. But that's them getting a message that, say, their grandfather is close by, who was a smoker and sat in his chair. And so they just get a slight hint of that. Or they might get another smell of lavender or jasmine or and it reminds them of something which is their message. So there's all these different um, tools or ways to feel into our intuition. Now, I always thought that my, my strongest one was clairsentience um, because I feel stuff. But over my time, I've actually realised that claircognizance is my is my strongest clear sense. So I just know things. And what I then do is I use my clear feeling, seeing or hearing to back it up. Because for me, knowing is like, well, how do I know that? And I go into my logical brain. So if I can back the clear knowing up with another sense, I trust it more, which is something also I'm working on so that I can get better and better acquainted with that sense of clear cognizance, the clear knowing where I just know things to be true. Um, but that speaking before we think, I'm not saying all the time, obviously, if we're in an argument, I highly <laughs> suggest against that. But in that, when we're in our intuitive wisdom, that's when we're speaking our soul truth rather than thinking our, our third dimensional truth, which is that physical reality truth. Um, but also in saying that, I want to caveat that with this saying that I heard, I was reading Eileen McCusick's book, which she is a biofield tuner. So she uses tuning forks to balance out the, um, the biofield, which is the auric field. Fascinating lady. And, and I love her work, um, but she, she came across this, um, saying that the truth has 144 sides. And the more I've sat with it and worked with it and used my intuition with it, the more and more it's true. So to use my marriage as an example, I had my truth of my marriage and my ex-husband had his truth of our marriage. Our children had their truth of our marriage. Our family members had their truth. Our friends had their truth. And all of them were true. So that's why some people, you know, not that they, you know, sides should be taken, but, you know, some people took his side, some people took my side, some people didn't take sides at all because everybody had their own truth and their own interpretation of what was happening and what they saw and what they felt was true in the situation. 
And that's just using one example, of course. If, if you think about car accidents and when police go and interview everybody who saw the accident, they'll come up with five or six different stories. The car will be a different colour or facing a different direction or, you know, there would have been a woman instead of a man driving or whatever it was. But people swear that that's their truth. And so when we start to get this idea that the truth has 144 sides, we get more and more comfortable with what our truth is and how our truth can feed into the tapestry that is the greater truth and the world. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm busy writing that down. <laughs> oh, it's so It blew my mind. Absolutely wow. blew my mind. It's and blowing my mind. Wow. Also very, very, you know, it, it, it's that truth. So coming back to mm. like what you said in the beginning of living, living everyone else's desires, wants and needs is only going to create a life that isn't ours. Yes. So, oh, so it's, it's almost like, I don't know what it, like, it is. It's that truth that mm. the speaking, the owning our truth, using our intuition as a guide as well. And it's there in many forms Mm. And, and so I feel like, like this might be a lot for some people that are hearing this for the first time and blowing their mind. <laughs> um, it's almost like, how do we get to, to get there? Mm. Right. So it's like, it's creating, it is slowing down and is creating more of a conscious way of being. Cause if we're so busy yes. doing, you know, trying to work, trying to find that, um, trying to be mum, trying to be that person for our family and trying to be that person for our clients and trying to be this person, um, we kind of, we miss out on hearing, feeling, knowing um, our intuition and, and the universe of signs because we're so busy trying to be everything and instead do everything. of do, do everything. Yeah. Instead of standing to our own truth. Yes. Our own desire and yes. what that can create. So I will take it back a bit because I think you're right. I kind of get a bit excited and, and I think now's probably oh, no. a really good time for some how <laughs> stuff. And that yeah. how is a practice. So you practice, you know, and, and I get my clients to start with a couple of small things because if I give them 30 different tools, they're going to go out completely overwhelmed and they're just not going to do anything because they'll be like a deer in the headlights. What the hell do I do now? So there are two practices I give them to start with. And one is to start tuning in to that interview. What is my first response when I ask myself a question? So if I, and, and I use a really simple example, okay, I really, really fancy a nice hot bowl of soup with some warm gluten-free bread for lunch today. So I go out to a cafe and I go, oh, this soup on the menu, that would be amazing. And I go, you know what, I'm actually going to get scrambled eggs on toast. I know it's a small thing. But if you deliberately choose what you didn't really crave for lunch, for example, and you didn't listen to that intuition of what your body is probably going, the stuff in that soup is what your body needs more than it needs scrambled eggs, for example. If we deliberately ignore it, we'll probably be going, oh, I should have had the soup. That would have been nice, you know, blah, blah, blah. Not that we always regret it. But when we have those things that our intuition is saying, yes, go for that, you notice the feeling. So sometimes I get my clients to go out and do a deliberate thing. Okay, my body's saying I really, really want to eat a banana. I'm going to go have an orange. Just it's not a life-changing decision, but in practising with some of that small stuff, we start to go, oh, that's how my body feels when I don't follow my intuition as well as this is how my body feels when I do follow my intuition. So we can start with just tiny things like that. And very small, like I say, not life-changing decisions. The other thing is when you're feeling things, 
it's starting to get curious about what you're feeling. So most people, and this is through research, I know Brené Brown talks about it as well as a number of other researchers that I follow. Um, most people can identify three emotions. Basically, it's mad, sad, or glad. So happy, sad, or angry. And what the, the next exercise I get people to do is, okay, so when you are feeling something, ask yourself what that is. I have emotion charts. I have a whole folder full of different emotion charts and I call them shades of emotion. So for example, mild irritation and frustration are at a completely different end of the scale to anger, rage or wrath, for example. So give it a shade, color it in a little bit. If I'm feeling a bit bitter that something, you know, I missed out on something, I've got that bitter taste in my mouth. Well, is that a dislike type bitterness or is it a, you know, a really harsh, strong bitterness? So to be able to start putting some texture around the emotions that we're feeling. And I, I suggest to a lot of my clients to go online and search for emotion charts and just download a couple so they can start getting a little bit of clarity on their feelings. So when I'm feeling tired, okay, well, what's the actual feeling of tired? Because tired is a state of being, it's not an emotion. So, okay, how am I feeling with this tiredness? I know when I get really, really tired, I get very teary, I get very emotional, I get very upset. I, <laughs> I'm, you know... So, okay, let me name some of those emotions that are sitting underneath there and bubbling around. So there are two different ways that we're starting to get to know our internal world and tune inwards rather than fully being focused outwards. So using that intuition for really simple things and then learning to name our emotions because as we name our emotions, they become less big and less scary and we go, okay, well, this one's got a name. Second step in naming our emotions is to validate why they are there. So, for example, and I use this example in clinic a lot because most mothers understand it, especially when they've got teenagers like I do. When I ask them to clean their room, I'll ask really nicely probably, you know, five, ten times, maybe even for the first two or three days. By about day three or four, I am losing my shit at them. Now... Is anger, because the anger is what is being expressed, is anger actually the true emotion there? Well, it's not. Anger is showing me that my boundaries have been violated. It shows me when I'm afraid of something. It shows me when I'm hiding big emotions. Because it's a really easy anger, it's a really easy emotion to express. Whereas anger often hides other emotions, especially when we are hurting, because we would prefer to feel pissed off than hurt. So if we go to the room example, by the time it gets to me, you know, going batshit crazy at them for not cleaning their room, I'm feeling unloved, I'm feeling disrespected, I'm feeling unheard, I'm feeling unvalued. There's a lot of feelings going on underneath there. And when we're feeling unheard, we're feeling often disrespected. And that's a boundary violation. And so when we're, you know, going crazy about a messed up room, oftentimes there's this other stuff underneath it that we're just not wanting to look at because anger feels much, much better for us to express because then we're basically projecting our stuff onto somebody else. And it's so much nicer sometimes to get rid of that as much as it's not the most grown-up way to do it. <laughs> so I do use that example quite a bit. Um, for people to start, acknowledge your feeling. What am I feeling right now? What is that feeling? Can I give it a name? And then can I validate why it's there? And in doing so, that feeling shifts a lot, lot faster. Even when they're the really big emotions, it can shift through because you're not resisting it. So when we resist it, it gets stuck in the body. Whereas when we're acknowledging what it is, why we're feeling it, what it's trying to tell us, then it can shift through because all of a sudden we understand why it's there and we can go, ah, oh, you're just trying to help me. You're just trying to guide me. You're just trying to show me the path. So our good feelings, the ones that feel good for us, and by the way, I don't think there's actually good and bad feelings, but I kind of need to use the, the 
duality words to be able to explain it. You know, when we feel the feelings that feel good in our body, that is showing us that we want more of that, that the universe is going, yes, you want more. Keep following those feelings. They're your breadcrumbs. When we've got these negative feelings, the body is going, oh, I don't really like it. It's showing us we're on the wrong path or that we need to course correct or we need something to change or something to give. And so when we're getting these icky feelings, we can start to go, okay, and this is why I mean there's no negative or positive emotions because all of a sudden they then become our best friends to go, okay, how do I need to course correct? What am I not doing for myself that I need to do for myself? What act of self-care could I do right now that is going to fill my cup up to be able to move into my better feeling feelings again. How can I do that? What do I need? Am I able to ask for what I need? Am I able to move into what I need? And this goes into that original thing we were talking about, about balancing work and family. Because oftentimes our family is such a drain on our resources and not intentionally, but because they have responsibilities, you know, especially when you've got little ones like you do, Georgie, they need you. And how do you balance that need from those beautiful little souls who are trying to navigate this world and your passion and desire for work? And this is where getting to know those feelings, getting tuned into that intuition really, really helps. And it doesn't always have to be you know, an hour's walk on the beach or going for an hour's massage or going to a day spa or as much as those are really lovely things, we need to be finding things in every day that we can put in regularly to fill our cup up so that we're not giving from this detrimental resentment spiral of selflessness, which does what it says on the tin, by the way, when we are being selfless, we are making less and less and less of ourselves. We need to find a way to do it from a place of self-fullness. So, again, one of the really simple, easy, well, not always easy, I shouldn't put that on because sometimes it's really damn difficult, A, to remember and B, to do it. But I get people to sit down with their coffee and actually enjoy smelling it, tasting it, or their chai or tea. I'm just using coffee as one, whichever their hot drink or drink of choice is. But you know, to set a timer, to actually make a ritual of making that cup of tea or that cup of coffee or that chai and then sitting down with it and just letting yourself daydream or stare out a window or just be with it, smell it, taste it, rather than putting it in a to-go cup and racing around like a mad woman. Nobody's actually going to miss us for that five or ten minutes. Yes, we might get a few interruptions. Um, and for those with little kids, by the way, I often suggest that um, they get a timer with big numbers. And, and once kids have learned their numbers, of course, and once the, the zeros are there, then they can come and talk to mum. But whilst those numbers are, you know, counting down, they're not allowed to. And some people say their kids will just sit and stare at the timer, kind of waiting for the... <laughs> For the zeros. <laughs> Other kids don't don't do so well with that. But it's giving them that that visual to say, Mummy just needs a little bit of time right now to recharge her batteries so that she's got more to give to you. And whether they understand that or not, they soon do get to understand that. Um, oh, and they do. Mm. They one hundred do. Like I, as you yeah, I've got, you know, really young kids and me tapping into that like really owning my truth so I will say mummy really needs to eat right now she's really hungry mm. so before we do anything else this is what mummy's doing she's going to sit and she's going to eat you can choose what you need to do yeah and they go and do that yeah. and then once mummy's done then I have the energy um and the space and the clarity to be with them yes yeah Exactly. And the interesting thing is, and, you know, <laughs> they get to then understand because they're having it modelled for them that they can say that too, that they can do that later in life, that they are allowed to take that time for themselves. 
instead of being that martyr, and I know I still fall into martyrdom, I'm um, certainly, you know, by no means perfect. The woe is me. I do everything around here, kick the cat, you know, get grumpy, get pissed off. And yet there are ways in the house that I like things to be. So actually when I'm in a good mood and when I'm when I, my cup is full, I do it because I'm house proud, because I love it. And I don't mind cleaning up after other people. But when I'm tired, when I've been working long hours and I'm coming home and I just need something for me, I find myself getting really, you know, peeved that nobody else has picked up that slack. Yet that's part of that mind reading thing. There's my expectations of they should be able to know that I'm tired. They should know what they need to do for me because I know what to do for them. And this is something I've changed over the last number of years is, you know, if I've had a rough day at work, because sometimes my work can be emotional and huge when we're getting some big releases for people, if I come in the door and say, look, I don't have a lot left in my tank, I didn't sleep well last night or I've had a big day in clinic or whatever it is, I don't have a lot left and I'm going to need some help. Now, oftentimes just saying that, all of a sudden I'm fine, I've got the energy and I can do what I need to do. And other times, you know, it might be that the kids push me too much and I'll end up snapping at them or, you know, losing my shit or whatever it is. And one of the kids will invariably look at the other and go, well, you know, she did warn us. Yeah. You know, it's like a, yeah, okay. And another example is, I still remember this, my, um, my daughter, we had a bit of an argument and I said, you know that you and your brother are the most important things in my life. And she turned around and she looked at me and she's like, no, we're not, you are. And I said to her, that is actually true and you are right, but by me being my best me, I can be my best mum me as well and I can be my best me for you which does show how much I love you because I'm loving myself enough to prioritise me and my feelings to make sure that you get the best version of me that you can. Mm, but I love it when they break things like that back at us. Yeah. <laughs> and it is, it's breaking that cycle of what it was, gen, yes. you know, generation, generations, generation, generation. Mm. Um, and we still, it's breaking that cycle. And I, those two practices that you shared is so it's simple but so it's life-changing simply just breaking the cycle of the emotions that arise being aware of them naming them validating them and then coming from that place it breaks that cycle of that instant snap telling your kids what to do the control anger it's because we're in that cycle but we can break it and it does take Mm. courage you might have to, you know, invest in, in having a kinesiologist, um, a chiropractor, a coach, you know, whatever that looks like to support that, to break that cycle. But on the other end of that is your cup is filled. That is, a to me, just hearing that is a form of self-care. Yes. Because it's breaking that cycle and yes. using that intuition. It was something else you said um but it is that oh that um like checking in where your energy's at right there are there are times where you're happy to clean up after everyone else and wash the dishes because you have the energy to do it intuition has spoken Mm. but then there are days when it's not and that's when you call out for help Mm. so it's it's that it's a continuous flow it's and it's forever changing it's not one it's one size fits all every day it is no. continually changing and so those two practices that you said like with the food I love that one so much because we <laughs> eat it all the time yeah <laughs> when we don't choose what I you know what came from that place we and we choose um something because of money mm-hmm. or because of um, the person that we're with or or so on and so on we end up unsatisfied yes and then we're craving something else so that's kind of where that whole there's a whole nother podcast we then Mm. want the sugar and that because we're unsatisfied with our choice because we didn't choose from our place of intuition yeah we sat down so i love that one yeah it's amazing you know and there's so many times that we do it and you know the big thing that and I think it probably goes above everything else that, that 
I stand for in clinic is some of the stuff we can't change per se. Like it's still going to be there. My voice of unworthiness is always going to be there because it's part of who I am. But what I do is I grow my awareness of it. So I have the volume switch. Oh, there you are again. You know, you're telling me I'm not worthy to get on a Facebook Live or I'm not worthy to run this event or I'm not worthy to see these clients or, you know, whatever it is. I can turn it down. I can put it in the back seat. I can make sure that it's not driving and it's not controlling and it's not directing me to places I don't want to go. And that is the key, I think, to healing is becoming aware of, A, what we can change and B, what we can't and being okay with both lots and being okay with the fact that, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to get rid of that belief that, I'm unworthy or I'm not good enough and also I know how to manage it now so it doesn't speak so loudly that I can't and being aware of okay my body wants this and I'm going to give it that as opposed to my body wants this but I can't afford it or you know somebody else has said I shouldn't have it or whatever and making a different decision just getting used to how that feels in our body because there are still sometimes I do that I'm also aware when I'm doing it, okay, I'm actually not making this choice for me. What's behind that? Do I need to change my choice or do I continue down that road of knowing that it's not in my best interest but also probably knowing that there might be a lesson at the end of it for me? Because we're not always in our most wonderful, divine, fabulous, you know, connected, intuitive self because we've got messy life going on. And so there's also that acceptance that, you know what, some days I'm still going to make poor decisions and some days I'm still going to lose my shit at my kids and not do the apologising or not explain to them where I was at with that because I'm human. So if we can get comfortable with the discomfort of, of that humanity within us and the fact that we will still make mistakes, then that's another, you know, work in progress that just keeps happening to allow us to be more in tune with that intuitive self. That I love that because when this this making the mistakes, the learning from them, you know, we we're gonna um, have that messy side of ourselves and and we get to explore that and people get to see that, but it's what we can learn from that is not letting our thoughts of what's wrong with me, the, uh, the guilt to bog us down. It's just mm. simply being okay with not being okay and being uncomfortable and having these emotions and acting out so that we can move on to the next thing so we can feel and let our intuition guide us. It's those kind, it's those thoughts, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's not allowed. I'm not supposed to do yeah. that. I'm not supposed to feel that's what kind of makes us exhausted. It's the shoulds and the should, can't, might, ought, try. So that's kind of the letting go. It's all these things that we're talking about is is natural. It's a it's it's what makes us human. It's what makes us feel alive. Yes. It's yeah. So we can use it. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> if and the more we become aware of it, and the more we become okay with it. Funnily enough, the less we find ourselves doing it. You know, I I fall into old patterns a lot, lot less these days than I than I used to, and I hope that trend will continue. But I'm also working on it every single day. And I'm more okay now, A, asking for help, which is a big one for women. I think we need to do a whole podcast on just asking for help. <laughs> also then receiving the help, allowing other people to give the help. Mm. And even sometimes just recognising that maybe we can't do it all and maybe that's enough. Okay, I can't do it all. I'm still going to keep pushing because, you know, maybe there is nobody to ask. But even that recognition, okay, so maybe there is a possibility that things could change. Tapping into that possibility, maybe things could change. Maybe there could be somebody later down the road that, that could give me the help that I need or, or maybe somebody will step in who I didn't see before. There's a lot of that kind of stuff that can come in as well. And so I love the idea of being open to possibility with it and being accepting of what is coming in because 
you know, the thing that used to piss me off in the healing was when people would go, it is as it is. And for years I struggled with that. Don't you tell me it is as it is. I will make it be something else. <laughs> it can't just be as it is. It, it is as it is. And yet the more work I've done, the more I've kind of surrendered to that. And, okay, this is as it is. Can I change it? Can I change me? Do I need to do anything here or do, do I just need to be with it? Do I have a tool that fits this purpose or do I want to learn one? Do I want to go and find a professional who might be able to guide me to one? Or, you know, do I just need to sit with this? I, for people that are listening right now and is tuned into all of this and it's sort of resonating, you know, your intuition is, is speaking to you right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it might be a time for change um, and opening up to that possibility of what could be if you're not satisfied in your life and you mm. know things can and you're listening to this now is the time yes so to sort of wrap up this incredible mm. session i've learned so much i've taken <laughs> so much um what else to just sort of um reflect points um, people can start practicing today in their lives as it is without having to change their outward experience so they can start using it now the big things are name your emotions ask yourself why they're there and what they're there to tell you so ask questions get curious the more curious and the more questioning you can become, it doesn't mean you're looking for answers necessarily. It means that you're looking for expansion. So you can just go, okay, so this is this and this is this and I'm feeling anger because I'm actually feeling disrespected or my boundaries have been crossed or you just get more intimate with those emotions so they become less scary. So the first thing is name the emotions and ask questions of why they're there validate the fact that they're there you know what i'm i'm feeling angry right now it's because i'm feeling disrespected you know what that anger is actually okay to be there because it's telling me something all right now we're friends and oh look now it's shifted into something else and there's something new coming up and you know off i go and i'm distracted and back into life again the other one is to start listening to that internal voice ask yourself a question and honor that first answer don't overthink it Get out of the head, drop into your heart, feel into your heart, breathe into your heart, however you can. Feel your feet on the earth and then ask yourself a question and feel for the answer or know the answer or use one of those clear senses to be able to understand what your answer is to that question. So they're the two big ones. And the third one will be, Set a timer occasionally, smell your coffee, slow down a little bit, set a timer for every hour that you're working or whatever and have a minute of just breathing and staring out a window. Something that reminds you just to slow down and to be and to move away from doing for just a few minutes to get back in contact with your breath or whatever it is, or just go daydream. Daydreaming is so much fun. I can't recommend it highly enough. (laughs) And there is nothing better than your favourite hot beverage, and mine depends on time of the day. It's either decaf coffee, almond chai, or uh, my herbal teas, depending on time of day. But I love nothing more than actually smelling them, enjoying them, consciously drinking them and being present when I'm having them. So practice presence, practice just being with your emotions, with your surroundings and ask yourself questions. Thank you so much. I love the simplicity of it. (laughs) We don't have to go to Thailand or Bali or retreat for weeks or months to start creating this. We We can start feeling into this and creating it within the life we live. We don't have to 
disconnect from it so we can connect again. We can connect within. Yeah. So I love the simplicity of it. Do you know, so I figure life is so complicated. We need simple, simple. If it's not simple, people will not do it because it feels too hard. So the simpler tools I can give people, the better. And some people go, oh, they're too simple to work. And yet they have such profound, amazing changes in people's lives. But I'm not for overcomplicating things because then people don't make the changes because it's too hard and it goes in the too hard basket and things continue on the same. <laughs> on the same path and we don't break the cycle so yeah starting simple with simple what you have <laughs> in front of you and then you build up to it because you've broken the cycle you've broken those layers uh, you've you've broken you know the light is shining through you've cracked open so you can mm. and expand more and more and more, and more. Yes. Um, but we want to start where you are at accept where you are at and start from that place yes. rather than where you think you should be doing or what you should be doing because you don't end up doing it yes. <laughs> I love that exactly oh my goodness well thank you so much for oh, this my incredible pleasure oh I so from this if you're listening go and grab that hot beverage or that <laughs> cold drink depending on where you are in the world right now and simply be and enjoy yes. thank you until the next one, um, we'll see you then. Thank you so much again, Amanda. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, my love. As always, it's just divine being in your space. Yes, thank you. And we'll connect soon. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for tuning into Awakening Motherhood. We would love you to continue the conversation and get to know our guests a little bit more on our community Facebook group, Awakening Motherhood AU. And to learn more about our amazing networking events, check out awakeningmotherhood.com.au.